0: Welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Patty is out preparing for Election Day on Tuesday. We have some propositions that are on the ballot, uh, but she has to be fully staffed. And uh, one of her people, her uh, other main person at her election center, uh, is stuck in Arizona because her American Airlines and uh, Southwest Airlines flights have been canceled. Mm, you know, American canceled a thousand flights today.
1: A lot of, a lot of so, airline chaos in the last month or so. Yeah. So for those who don't so, know, Patty is an election judge.
0: Oh, you know, she has been... For years. For years, like before yeah. she was on the show, and she's done the show with us for how long? 20 years? 20 years now, yeah. Or longer. Our guest today is Tamika Perry. She is the new CEO of Dallas Hope Charities. Dallas Hope Charities, for anybody who doesn't know, addresses hunger, addresses LGBT youth homelessness, um, addresses suicide. So, real happy and cheerful uh, job you have there, Tamika.
2: Oh, that's a wonderful job. I know it is. <laughs> know it, it actually is. It is it's a wonderful job. Thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm
0: so glad that you came. Uh you we had to make a because we had promo that she was going to be on uh and you were in quarantine because you had been exposed to COVID.
2: Yes, I was exposed to to COVID. Well, I was around someone that I actually contracted COVID, um, but I never. You didn't
0: contract it. No,
2: I didn't contract it. I was just in quarantine for two weeks.
0: Well, so. and our rules at the station also are be safe. So. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: You know. Yeah. I'm glad you made it this time. I'm glad you did not contract it. Um, tell us a little bit about what Dallas Hope Charities does, because I gave it the the very brief. You know, you address hunger and homelessness. Mm-hmm. Just.
2: So our mission is actually to provide food, shelter, and services that instill dignity and stability for all. Um, So we're hoping that our platform, um, you know, addresses the needs of the community in those three different areas. And we have three uh, programs that support those resources.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, um, and just a little bit briefly, Meals of Hope.
2: Okay, our meals program at Dallas Hope Charities is uh, unique and is as it is a mobile food pantry. Uh, we actually have a, a food truck. Uh, that we serve in different locations within the uh, city of Dallas. Um, We serve hot meals, maybe about every serving, 200 hot meals per location. Uh, We set up a mobile food pantry, so as people are enjoying their hot meals, they can also shop within our mobile food pantry, and we also bring resources on site uh, as we're serving those meals. Right, Mm -hmm. because
0: not everybody can get to a food pantry Mm -hmm. that's... uh, in one stationary place yes so does the food truck arrive daily to these locations
2: well we have a set schedule when we arrive at the different locations but the residents of the different complexes or the communities know when we're serving uh we also uh make sure that through social media we're sharing that location
1: nice nice and anybody who's part of these residencies are welcome to Get food from these uh, food trucks.
2: Yes. Anybody in the city of Dallas or outside the city of Dallas that walks up to our mobile food truck is in, uh, will receive a meal from Dallas. Oh, Charities. okay. So it's just not one community. It's just not, you know, one mm-hmm. uh, spe- specific apartment complex. Anyone that sees that food truck rolling in the city of Dallas and we're serving, they're more than welcome to a meal.
0: And uh, your youth homelessness uh, center mm-hmm.
2: Our Hope Center,
0: the Hope Center.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you address homelessness there?
2: So our Hope Center, um, we service uh, youth between the ages of eighteen to twenty-four, or young adults. I, I see. I'm telling my age when I call them youth, uh, <laughs> but young she's adults. Old. She, she's old. I am
0: very old, a, a, and oh, um, her her wife is sitting here at the table with us, and she's just she's just laughing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I am. I feel like I'm old. My friends tell me quit saying that but uh, we serve young adults from the age of 18 to 24 Uh, we provide life skills services rep services within the home Uh, our center houses eight young adults uh, for a period of 12 months Um, and we provide everything that they need in order to help them gain stability to be productive members of the Dallas community.
0: So since these are um, young adults who are over the age of 18, Mm -hmm. this isn't to get them to 18, this is to get them living on their own. Yes. So you give them a year. Yes. And during that year, what types of services do you provide to them to teach them Things that they never learned earlier in their life. Like a lot of us were fortunate enough to have good guidance from from our parents. And these are mostly youth who didn't. Um, What are some of the life skills that you teach them?
2: So some of the life skills we teach at Dallas Hope Center is life skills classes like financial literacy. You would think... um, that you would know this, but even nutrition classes where we have someone come in and talk to them about uh, the value of nutrition and and healthy living. Um, We look at different training classes, not only college as a pathway to independence, but also trade schools as a pathway to independence. Uh, we also talk about social skills. We have uh, center meetings where each one comes together and talks in, within the group to share their experiences and what they're going through. Um, we have affirming counseling for each of our residents that participates. Um, so all kinds of services. Mm-hmm. Those things that you know your mama used to Tell you when you was at home. Those are the things that I mean, DHC is trying to instill within in those youth and get them on the path to independence.
1: Right. I know some some people might be wondering why eighteen to twenty four. You're an adult. You should be able to take care of yourself. You know, if they, if these were teenagers who were still in school or elementary or junior high kids, yeah. um, but. Everybody's story is different of when they turn 18, Mm -hmm. you know, why they ended up in the the situation they are in. Um, Can you talk a little bit about some of the different scenarios of why 18, or 24-year-old might be homeless or not have a job or something like that?
2: I think it's different times now. When I was 18, I was in college. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom Mm -hmm. pushed me to go – the military or college or, you know, employment. But I had support in learning what each one of these paths could mean for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I chose college. Uh, I gained the support from my family, my friends. I had financial support. I had emotional support. Uh, I developed friendships. I learned within that environment. And at the time, I wasn't out. So, being able to navigate different resources was a little bit easier for me when I was younger. Uh, when I came out at 22, it distinct that that was a change. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I want to go to grad school. Uh, I'm presenting different. Um, the family support is still there; it's still golden, and I thank my mother for that because no matter. Who else didn't ride with me or support me? She did, Uh, and my sisters too, I can't leave them out. But you know, those are different scenarios that led me to become who I am today. So imagine not having the support of your family, your friends, uh, school resources, community resources, or those resources not being there because they're not affirming and they don't identify with with who you are. Uh, So your path is going to be harder. Uh, Your journey is going to be rougher. Um, So I think we have to look at. We can't, like, you want me to give scenarios, but I don't think that there's one scenario right. that can lead to uh, those youth needing help. Some, it could just be they fell on bad times yeah. and they can't go home. Uh, you know, I, I could go home if something happens to me. Uh, you have youth that are not accepted or identified for who they are in their home, so instead of, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a situation where a parent asks them to leave, they just decide to leave because mentally, it's healthier for them. So there are so many different right. scenarios that, you know, those youth come to our, our Right, shelters. and
0: then there are some that are actually thrown out of their home when their parents find out that they're LGBT. Yes. Um, but I, th- I think the major point you hit on, yeah. I think,
1: was key is support. Yes. You, uh, everybody needs support, especially mm-hmm. when they're just starting out, whether you're in high school or right out of high school. Um, in that critical age of 18 to 24, everybody needs support, and unfortunately, a lot of LGBTQI individuals
0: do not get that.
1: Correct.
0: You know, and you say you were lucky that you always had your mother's support. Yes, I did too. Uh, my mother taught at Sarah Lawrence College, big lesbian school up in New York, and uh, so I remember she, she sat me down one day. We were having a talk, and she just said. And, and she was talking about, actually, some of her students who were transgender, which back in the 70s it was not as common as it is now. Uh, you, you know, and she just said, you know, people just have to do what they need to do to be happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, this was the talk we had that telling me that it was OK if I was going to come out. So that that's such a huge difference in support. hmm. From somebody who is going to tell their kid, if you come out, you're out of the house. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And and that happens happens all the time. A lot. A lot. Uh, You know, we hear the bad cases are when they're throwing a kid out who's 15 years old because they really don't have the right to throw their kid out. It's not up to me to raise your kid for you, even though we do. Um, But... At 18, they're an adult and they're assumed to be right. independent. Exactly. Uh, it's kind of like the foster system that at 18, okay, everything's over. Okay. But even at so. 18, you know, y- y- you still need to know how to fill out a job application,
1: mm-hmm. um, how to talk to, if you get an interview. Um, the very basic things that if you didn't get that or was taught that growing up, you- you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. And,
2: and we got to think about our society. Our society has set this standard that 18 is an adult
1: right.
0: um,
2: with parameters from. 50 years ago when you were 18 you could graduate you could find a job whether it's in uh, you know some kind of industry whether you went off to school you could do that at 18 18 and 2021 is totally different now Mm -hmm. the ability for an 18 year old to actually graduate high school and start a job that's what 1% of our population will actually find a job that could sustain them Uh, the average uh, income for A youth working at, say, McDonald's, what are they bringing home, $600 every two weeks. And your average salary for, I mean, your average rent in Texas, Dallas right now, for a one-bedroom apartment is $1,100.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, 18 is different. Uh, opportunities are different. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we look at our youth coming to our Hope Center, we, we're telling them you have different paths.
0: Don't you find it easier at your advanced age mm-hmm. to have a wife who's who also works? Don't you find it easier to be able to afford a place to live?
2: Oh, mo- two, two household incomes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Most definitely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and he's and, and,
2: and two incomes in Dallas and I'll say two decent incomes. I'm saying that so when the boards are looking at it's time to up my salary. <laughs> uh but two decent incomes hint, in Dallas. right. <laughs> two decent incomes in Dallas, you're still searching. There's not oh, yeah. this easy, hey, I have this apartment over here and here you go. Um you could look for a two-bedroom apartment here in Dallas, and they're going for like twenty-five hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and that's in an area where you're along a a, a DART is DART system or the Metro mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. out here.
0: Yeah.
2: So it's it's helpful, but yeah, it's still hard.
1: It, it, it is still hard. How, how, are most of your, how are you getting, are you all receiving most of your clients? Are they coming to you voluntarily or are they being referred to you?
2: Uh, they're coming to us in both ways. So we receive referrals from the city of Dallas, uh, case management programs. We receive them from Dallas ISD. And then we receive them through our websites and our social media platforms. So we get referrals from everywhere.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she did say, you know, for a listener, she did say uh, D.I.S.D. You know, we talked a lot about this before the show. You know, this is something a lot of I think a lot of the larger pop, general population don't realize. There are homeless teens. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and I know you don't take anybody below the age of 18, mm-hmm. but they do exist. And when you uh, what do you do when you get someone who's not 18, but they come to your center?
2: Then we do referrals uh, to our local organizations that uh, have openings for youth. Um, so there are some nonprofit shelters in the city of Dallas that we have partnerships with, or that we refer our our youth to if they're under the age of
0: eighteen. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um. You okay? So you're referring out. People are referring to you. Mm-hmm. You have eight beds, right? Yes. And that fills the need in Dallas, doesn't it?
2: You didn't know, David? No. (laughs) Not at all. That doesn't even fill 1% of what we need uh, to support our youth.
0: You have a waiting list how long?
2: Right now we have about 86 youth, young Uh adults. So your
0: waiting list has gone down since the last time you and I talked. A
2: little bit, a little bit. Uh, We've been able to refer out to different organizations that have actually opened up their uh, LGBT uh, homes. Um, A lot of our youth have found support through families. So as we go through our waiting list, uh, we're constantly contacting them, finding out, hey, now we have an opening. Uh, Are you still interested in our program? Uh, Some youth have found programs not in Dallas. They like literally leave the state and go other places because they don't have the support here. Um, But there are other organizations that are opening up and expanding their programs here, which is Mm -hmm. is godsend, honestly.
1: Is there are um, are there any efforts or plans to um, extend more beds beyond eight?
2: We hope so. Uh, Dallas Hope Charities is still in our infancy as an organization Uh, to even have eight beds, and you know opening up the Hope Center in the middle of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, actually. Um, So, yes, but we do want to expand our reach, um, open up more beds in the Dallas area.
1: Yeah, we did talk about that. How Mm -hmm. actually did um, Hope Charities get started? This was Mm -hmm. born out of uh, the Cathedral of Hope?
2: Yes, it was the original mission of the Cathedral of Hope Church. Uh, It was founded... In 2016, uh, we were incorporated in 2018 and became an independent nonprofit organization. Um, In 2018 was the development of the organization, seeing where the need was and expanding on the ministry of the church. Um, So that's how now we have our meals program, we have our Hope Center, uh, which is our transitional living program for our uh, young adults. and then we have our Collective Hope Coalition Initiative that that coincidentally was also started in 2020. So the pandemic at the time really brought to light for our board uh, those needs that were happening. And so they made it happen. So
0: kudos to our yeah, board. Yeah, the pandemic showed how so many people were just living right on the edge. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many things shutting down during the pandemic, especially at the very beginning, it was like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, there are huge needs here. We're going to talk more about that after our break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with LaRon Landis. Patty will be back with us next week. Tamika Perry is our guest. She is the CEO of Dallas Hope Charities. And we'll have more with Tamika right after this. Hey, I'm John Carlo. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with LaRon Landis, and we're talking to Tamika Perry. She's the CEO of Dallas Hope Charities. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, how the pandemic really laid things bare, people who were living on the edge, but making it on their own. All of a sudden, especially there was food insecurity.
2: For me, when I noticed, I've I've been working in nonprofit in Dallas now for about six years. Uh, what was really telling to me was when the pandemic hit and people were unemployed. How many people actually visited a pantry for the first time? The lines, the um, the need, it was it was enormous. And still to this day, pantries haven't slowed down. Uh, they're still ramping up. People are still in need of support. Um but yeah, the the need for food was was overwhelming during that time.
1: And, you know, we are talking about an age bracket, you know, in regards to the service mm-hmm. eighteen to twenty four. And during the pandemic what industry was hit the hardest was um the um the food service industries, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. restaurants and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um and who Mainly works those jobs, yeah. young people. I was one of them. Yeah. I worked in I worked in restaurants for about six or seven years, a right? Long out, time, right ago. out of high school, <laughs> a long time ago. So that's like a double whammy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how? I mean, how did they? Are you requiring them when, they're, when they secure a bed for that one year, mm-hmm. are you requiring that they um, get employment during that time? Yes. Okay. So
2: um, to be independent, you have to make money.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so within the first three months, we really circle around our uh, young adults and try to get them supported through uh, – Going back to college, because you can still go to college and get a stipend to help you Mm -hmm. uh, as you're going through school. Uh, We look for employment. But until they either are in some kind of training program, working, or going to school, we also encourage them to volunteer in the community. Um, So until they find that employment, they're looking, uh, well, they're volunteering. Uh, But, yes, that's the first thing we encourage is is secure income and secure health insurance, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of those youth that lost their jobs during that time lost their health insurance. Um, And then now they're on their parents' health insurance that takes away more money from their income coming into the home, if they're in the home. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But people who are just going to the pantry, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're seeing lines of people. Was there any... You never question anybody about whether there's a, they have a need. They they don't have to show no. a, anything special. You're assuming they're here, they're waiting on that line.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a need.
2: They, they have a need. Uh, there's no request for identification. <clears throat> we don't take down anyone's names. Uh, when you walk up to the mobile food uh, truck, or when you walk up to the food truck, we ask you how many meals you want. Uh, mm-hmm. And some people collect... Two meals, one for right then and one for the next day if we're not serving the next day at the location. Or we've seen people come up and get uh, 6 to 12 meals for everyone in the household or their next-door neighbors or, you know, the the individuals that can't come down and stand in those lines. Mm -hmm. uh, They'll take meals to them. Uh, So we don't question anyone. Mm
1: -hmm. So I know, again, we're talking about an age bracket of 18 to 24. Mm -hmm they're legally supposed to be responsible for themselves. Their family's not legally bound or responsible for them. But are there times when you are are in contact with their families and are trying to help the situation?
2: No, not within our program. Okay. And again, this is because they're legally adults. right? Uh, so their situations with their families are managed through their relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can encourage or assist if needed by providing support through counseling services or um, providing resources for the family to mend whatever situation has happened. But we tend not to get into family relationships. We're really gotcha. there just to support the individual so they can gain stability. And and sometimes that stability that they gain outside of the family might mend that relationship, too. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you have counseling services for uh, the youth who are in uh, the housing
2: yes. In the, Hope yes, in the Hope Center. In the Hope
0: Center. I would think that that counseling would start with family relationships mm-hmm. and at least learning how to deal with the loss of that relationship.
2: Well, dealing with the loss yes but let's let's think about a youth that is coming from a environment again they're at our at, at, by the time they reach us, they're at eighteen, mm-hmm. so they've dealt with whatever situation they've dealt with from birth to eighteen uh, so we don't force or even talk about bringing the family into the fold or seeking counseling until we can stabilize this one individual Mm -hmm. and then we wait for them to tell us when they're ready to approach that situation because we have to remember these are the youth that are displaced the family isn't displaced the youth is Mm -hmm. so we have to create a service around this one individual uh and we take into account what they need not what the family needs at that point point. and right. some don't need to go right back and try to mend that relationship after coming out of that home sometimes it takes time
0: and, and not mend the relationship necessarily i was thinking more about learning to deal with the relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I, I don't care how bad a relationship it was what your parents are doing and have done to you mm-hmm. affects you the rest of your life. So you do have to learn to accept it in some way. Yes, you do. You do, but that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't always mean reunification with no. them. No, 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 and I didn't mean, that. I, I guess I'm thinking just learning to deal with what you've been through. Yeah. Yes. Counseling. Yeah. Yes. And that's the <laughs> counseling piece.
2: <laughs> that's the, the, the affirming piece. Right. That is you are okay with who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and you don't have to seek acceptance. I'm
0: and sure. very but very often the family piece will resolve because the youth that you're dealing with will be able to then reestablish a good relationship with a brother or a sister. Um, who Possibly. possibly possibly who the family cut off
2: because we got to remember success doesn't bring about the change of the mindset of the family it wasn't the money it wasn't right. the, it wasn't the the actions that they were t- it was the person it was their their either gender identity it was their sexual orientation it was a person so they could become the most successful person in the world But because they can't accept their lifestyle, that it doesn't always fix the relationship. Oh, I've
0: heard stories about youth who were homeless who ended up getting great jobs and all of a sudden their parents, when they're getting older, just suddenly want to reconcile with them because they know that... the gay kid is the one that's going to be able to take care of them. <laughs> so. Well, we're,
1: you know, we, we talked about counseling. Um, let's talk about another piece of this, and that is the Collective Hope Coalition. Okay, um, that deals with uh, suicide. Talk a little bit about that. What are you all do with that? So, <clears throat> in
2: 2020, DAC realized that there was a high rate of LGBTQIA plus youth suicide in our in our community. Um, so the initial The initiative was started to bring together organizations, counseling organizations, housing, uh, community organizations to address that uh, concern. Um, So right now there are over 40-plus organizations committed to this cause here in Dallas. And what we do is try to create a platform or um, connections within these organizations to address that need. Um, So we've been doing that now for two years. Uh, We are holding our first mixer, uh, actually November the 11th, with our membership uh, to talk about how we've impacted our community over the last two years, and then what we're going to do to move forward to continue to make changes.
0: Have you, in the housing component, mm-hmm. had youth who have been suicidal?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we have. A- and
0: I'm not asking for details on it, Yeah. but how did you deal with it?
2: Well, again, the day that our youth come in, we have RAP services in place. Uh, so we've had individuals that are immediately placed into counseling. Uh, we have a connection to their uh and we continue to work with the youth uh, to make sure that they are managing uh, their situations. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's such a difficult issue. Mm-hmm. Um at least twenty twenty percent or so of suicides are LGBT. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually it's
0: higher. I was gonna say I think it's higher than that. It's
2: like it's like and I hate and see this is why I hate quoting statistics, but I'm gonna call them as close as possible. Uh it's about forty percent of our youth that commit si- suicide mm. or LGBT. Uh, and
0: I'm talking about overall. Overall. Overall yes. suicide. Mm-hmm. It's still about twenty percent.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um dealing with it is something that Mm. When my husband Brian died, another friend had lost his husband the same week. And we started an LGBT grief group. And I think the biggest shock that we've had are the number of people who've come and gone in that group over the years whose spouses have committed suicide. Mm. Um, it, it's such a different set of uh, of circumstances and very difficult to help somebody with, because while everybody feels some guilt when you lose your spouse, what else could I have done? Mm -hmm. You know, even though when I came home, Brian was fine that morning, and he was on the floor, passed out when I got home. You know, what more could I, have? not recognizing suicidal tendencies in your spouse is, it causes such guilt so what are some of the things that you do, and I'm asking this for personal as well as uh, just in general, what are some of the indications of somebody being suicidal? What are some of the... You know, how, how do you even recognize it?
2: And I'm not a specialist on that, so I would I would yield that question. Um, when our youth come into our uh, program... It is really an intake of information that they provide to us. Uh, unless there's a referral from an organization like the City of Dallas or Dallas ISD, uh, what we do is just evaluate the resources that we have and provide those resources. Mm-hmm. As individuals, I can't identify someone. Yeah, as,
0: that, I mean, that, that's, I'm not a professional. that's what the therapist and a the counselor exactly. will pick up on. Yes. So this comes out in the counseling sessions? It might, yes. It, and you're saying it might, and that's the problem with suicide. Yeah, like sometimes it th- you th- just it's, it's still hidden. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: So there's no way, I, we, again, day one, all of our youth are provided counselors. Uh, Candy Markham
0: kids. is our guest next week. We'll, we'll We're going to address her. that with her. Okay. <laughs> um, she is a professional counselor, and. Uh, uh, a treasure to our community.
1: So so, so right now you, you, your max is eight beds, and that, that's a lot, like you say, you, your organization is, is still in, in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a list, a backlog of what, 80 plus yes. other people um, needing um, places. H- who do you refer them to? Um, are there other are there volunteers to say, hey, I can take in a, a young adult, or um, they can come la- live with me, or is there a process to get involved with that?
2: Uh, we I I don't know of any nonprofits here in Dallas that are doing what they call foster support. Okay. Uh, those are youth that might need a place to stay. Uh, individuals open up their home and they're connected to the organization, almost like an adopt uh, uh, a foster care. Home. Right. Right. Um. That is a great idea. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Uh, But no, there are no organizations that I know of personally um, that are here in Dallas that offer that as an added addition. There are some in Chicago. Uh, I have to always say that. uh, Chicago. But there are organizations that are expanding their services. Uh, Say Promise House now has two affirming um, homes. Uh, City House is expanding uh, their services. Uh, City Square, they don't have uh, shelters, but what they do is they have a track program that offers support to youth. Uh, and through these different organizations, I've been able to talk to some of their leaders and kind of rally that support that we all need in in this, in the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so you keep going back to Chicago. Love Chicago. Um, it, well, you're from there.
2: <laughs> no, I'm actually from East St. Louis. Once I graduated, went to college at 17, graduated, moved to Chicago at what 22. Mm-hmm. Um. And that was home for almost 25 years.
0: And you worked where?
2: I worked uh, last job before leaving. Okay, I'm nonprofit. So if (laughs) you ever known somebody from nonprofit, there's a list. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Gilda's Club of Chicago, Uh, I worked there. And another uh, organization that I'd say I spent a significant time was uh, Catholic Charities. And what did you do? Uh, With Catholic Charities, uh, I worked within the housing department. There was this big push to change from housing developments to mixed income. Uh, So what I did was I ran a team of individuals that prepared uh, uh, these people that were in housing, prepared them to move out of these housing developments into something new, which was mixed income. So you had people in housing developments that lived next to doctors and lawyers, And it was just this hodgepodge of people, which it was really good for the city. I think it changed it. Um, But again, like I told you before, I think it also changed the culture of Chicago Mm -hmm. and it really affected some people in a negative way. Um, with Gilda's Club, I worked with the cancer support community, and I ran the African-American program. Um, we wanted to really reach out to African-Americans in Chicago and make sure that they were provided the resources that they needed and that uh, services were addressed on the south side of Chicago.
1: Yeah, so that's yeah. a
2: couple couple different things that I did.
1: She's definitely qualified, in other words.
0: Right. One of the things that you and I had talked about um, was the negative effects, and this was when you were working with, or or you were assisting the Chicago Housing Authority. Yes, that there were some negative outcomes Mm -hmm. for placing people out among other community, as opposed to in a low-income housing project. Yes. But there were positives? Yes. Okay, so what are some of the positives?
2: Some of the positives is that these are now thriving communities. When I go to Chicago and I see the house, the mixed income development, I see new schools, I see new churches, I see new uh, stores, I see retail stores opening in communities that hadn't had retail stores in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a beautification of Chicago right now in the downtown area or what we used to call the low end. They now call Bronzeville or they Changed it. It's been Bronzeville. Oh, it's been Bronzeville, but they've, it, we used to call it the Lolian, Um And Bronzeville was uh, where the African Americans lived once the Great Migration happened, and they were all coming from the South to Chicago. So you named the whole community Bronzeville, and it um, doesn't look that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Once the upgrades and the changes happened, um, and gentrification happened you're right baby gentrification happened and now you're a, a stone's throw away from downtown Chicago uh, I, I mean my apartment we could see uh, the stadium the Chicago Bear Stadium mm-hmm. um, and all of that's changed now uh, Bronzeville is Bronzeville but it's not Bronzeville
0: and we have just about 30 seconds. Okay. What, what were some of the negatives? And we'll talk about this after the break.
2: Some of the negatives are the people that actually raised their children there. Generations live there, no longer live there. They're displaced. They're placed yeah. in areas that they are no longer near, which affects that whole generation. Because now your babysitter that used to be downstairs is now across town. Uh, and your your support that was there to check on your mom that stayed in her apartment is now you know up north so it relocated a lot of people it changed our community and it's been affected ever since
0: we'll talk more about that after the break we're talking to tamika perry she's the ceo of dallas hope charities and this is lambda weekly we'll be back with more right after this uh i'm michael dominguez and you're listening to lambda weekly 89.3 three K9 fm and this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. We're talking to Tamika Perry. She is the CEO of Dallas Hope Charities. Okay, so we were talking about some of your experience in Chicago, some mm-hmm. of the good effects, the negative effects. During mm-hmm. the break, we were just talking about another you were show. Out, you were out at Catholic Charities? Yes. And another show. I-
2: Never And see, this is, once I told my mother and God, I've not been in a closet for 27 <laughs> years. So any job that I've, since I was about 22, so any job that I've ever had, I've always been who I am. I've always been masculine, presenting, no matter where I go.
0: Yeah, I've always been out, too. It hasn't worked out so well <laughs> in a few <laughs> cases until I started working in the gay community. And, um t- you, before the break, you were talking
1: about um, some of the uh, negatives and how mm-hmm. some of these different neighborhoods in Chicago—it's gone through gentrification, which any large city's gone through that. Yes. Yes. Um, here, we're going through that in the uh, um, uh, the Fair Park area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People have been mm-hmm. there for yep. yeah, Oak Cliff, been mm-hmm. there for generations, and now they're being displaced. Mm-hmm. Um, how? Were you able to help some of those people uh, find places, or did did they even come to you for a need?
2: You mean in Chicago? Yeah. So my whole position was actually to prepare them through credit, be, you know, just get them ready to move into different places. Uh, Either new housing developments mm-hmm. or either independent homes through uh, housing vouchers. Uh, so I think my largest site that I managed was about sixteen hundred families. Wow! And so, and when you think of a family, it could be four or five people in each uh, family. The one thing that was a negative for me is taking these families where you have a grandmother that might be taking care of her grandson that might have got arrested for, uh, you know, um, selling marijuana in the streets of Chicago. He cannot live with her anymore. So he's now displaced and now it's legal and they still haven't changed the rules. Hmm. So you have families that have these situations where now a grandmother has to move away from her grandson, and now he's out uh, in the streets looking for a place to stay. Um, and there hasn't been any laws of change. Thank you, baby. There hasn't been she's any. She's talking laws to of
0: change. her wife, who's sitting behind yes. her, and yeah. refuses to come to a microphone. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but she is always she's my she's my conscience. Um, but you know th- these laws have changed, and it hasn't. Affected the changes within our housing development, which again causes homelessness.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really good point you bring up. I know some people just assume, oh, you're homeless, you're lazy, or you you don't want to work or whatever. there's so many intricacies um, that go into, and everybody's story is different. And you know, it snowballs. One little thing can cause this mm-hmm. and cause this, and next thing you know, you you're displaced.
2: And what I think is. Is going to change, or hopefully, what changes is the view on what homeless looks like. I think yeah. in 2020, we figured out what homeless looks like, and homeless is. The the lack of income. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with age or sexuality. Homeless can hit anybody at any time. If you are one of those people that were living paycheck to paycheck, trust me, in 2020, homeless change
1: and homeless is not just living on the streets.
2: No, it is not just living on the streets. It is a family that has lost their home, and now they're living with an extended family. So you might have eight, nine people living in a home because now the mother, the father, the teenager, and the youth are all unemployed. Everybody's unemployed. Mm -hmm. And so they need that support from a relative or, you know, another family member. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, it can also just be somebody, especially with teenagers who are couch surfing.
2: Yeah, couch surfing because Cal- they've been put out of their homes, or you know, um, because they don't like the child's lifestyle, the young person's lifestyle. That's that's a lot of our youth. They're couch surfing, mm-hmm. or they're finding places to hang out. Until it's so late that they're not identified or noticed on the street for their own safety. So you might find a lot in, like, uh, what's that area? up uh, Deep Ellum? Mm-hmm. In that kind of, like, you know, bar scene area, mm-hmm. just kind of roaming around till the lights go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's safe, being in crowds and being around other uh, people.
1: So, you know, I, we just said, you know, homeless doesn't always mean living on the street. But there are some people that literally live on the street. How in the world did you all cope with that in Chicago with your monstrous winters? (laughs) I mean...
2: I would say Chicago has... Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I
1: left Chicago. I
0: can't do the winters. It's cold. It is cold. It is cold. But it took you 25 years to figure that out.
2: But see, when you're younger... The cold doesn't hit you like it hits oh, yeah, you as you get older.
1: It. You know, it's the same thing here. Oh, people, yeah. I always tell people, I, I was born, bred, and raised in Texas. I can handle the heat when I was little.
2: Yeah, it's hot here. The heat, heat now?
0: No. I can't do it anymore. No, no, no. Albany, New York, me, um, uh, and I was gone from there.
2: Yeah, instantly, I know.
0: Right after college.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think
0: yeah. Chicago might have Albany
1: beat.
2: Only by the wind.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. what the, the wind is. All sit, it is is the snow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah. get
2: that wind at Hulk. That's yeah. what gets you. You walk around a building downtown Chicago and that Hulk hits you. It'll change your religion.
0: <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> one year I went along with uh, some of the guys from Promise House doing the homeless, uh, the youth homeless count on the streets mm-hmm. of downtown Dallas. Yeah. And it, it's done in February. Mm-hmm. And it was cold. And the people that we spoke to were mostly wrapped up in sleeping bags. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't Chicago cold with, you know, with sleet and snow coming down.
2: Right. How? Uh,
1: uh, Yeah, how? What do you do to get them off the street, at least for a night?
2: Well, the city of Chicago will open up facilities and, and, and places for our homeless when it drops below a certain temperature. Uh so they might open up the united center and have cots and food and hot coffee. You have organizations like Catholic Charities or Vital Bridges or uh Lutheran Social Services open up different organizations of uh, uh open up different facilities. And of course you have your churches. Uh your churches are always your biggest impact during those times when they just open up the doors and let people sleep in the pews.
0: And Oaklawn United Methodist Church tried to do that, and the city stopped them.
2: Yeah, we're in Dallas.
0: Uh, we're in uh, Texas.
2: <laughs> there is definitely a difference between the Midwest and uh, the politics of uh, of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so you worked for a while for um, Highland Park United Methodist Church.
2: Highland Park. Yes. Yeah,
0: because you always pick the most conservative. I love uh, it. <laughs> church in the denomination <laughs> yeah. to work for. Uh, yeah. What did you do with?
2: Okay, first, Highland Park is not the most conservative church in uh, the United States there. Not are- in the United <laughs> States. Not, not, in and Dallas. not even in Dallas. Oh okay, not even in Dallas. Uh, again, was I out day one walked through the door? Yes everyone knows knows about me i was out
0: and and they were like oh god who did we just hire
2: (laughs) no actually i had a very very supportive team uh the lead pastor uh paul he was very supportive uh the executive pastor uh, matt he's supportive everyone was supportive um i think sometimes when we look at highland park and we see this facade of what it's supposed to be, I promise you, my thoughts was Dallas and Dynasty when I moved down here. I was like, this is Highland park. Uh, but when I actually became what I call a part of that community in the, in, the, in, in the church, which you have to remember, Highland Park is the center. That church is one of the center focuses of that community. Uh, it showed me something different. Um, they spend millions of dollars supporting Dallas, re- uh, da- the Dallas community. Um, and not only financially, but they physically go to these different organizations um, in Oak Cliff and Fair Park, uh, East Dallas, West Dallas. Um, so, very what people have a facade of being a very conservative church. Um, I would say it's very middle of the road. Uh, you have people that are very liberal and very conservative, all worshiping in one space.
0: And for the record, when um, the Methodist Church met uh, to decide on the issue of same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. Highland Park United Methodist Church sided with all the other Methodist churches in Dallas County and voted for.
2: To do what? I'm for, sorry.
0: for same-sex marriage, for allowing churches, not that they were necessarily going to do it, but to allow churches that wanted to do it.
2: Well, the vote is not the vote or the decision is not the fully decision made.
0: hasn't been made. I'm right. just saying at the last
2: I wasn't on the executive level uh, making that decision or making those announcements but they
0: did vote um, with us at, at their last convention
2: I will say i be, i will. Say uh, No, <laughs> I can't remember it. I'm trying to remember it was I know because the initiative ago? hasn't went through yet.
0: No, it has not gone yeah. through yet. There's still and debating. there were
2: different plans. Right. On how to address it. And those plans are still being addressed. So there is no there's no decision. Right. There's no decision.
0: I'm just right. saying last time there was a vote. They voted mm-hmm. with us.
2: OK, that's what so. you're saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what did you what did you do with Highland Park United Methodist?
2: Uh, I worked in their outreach department. And I'm only not uh, clarifying because, remember, I told you, David, unless you uh, – I want clarity. So I just don't want to say either way. I don't remember, honestly. Um, so I worked in their outreach department, uh, which, which is now called their impact department. Uh, I worked within their housing platforms. So I worked with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, uh HPMC has built the most homes in the country and also in the world uh, with a, uh, Habitat. Uh, I worked with Austin Street, uh, with Daniel Roby, and they're doing a great expansion there with their capital campaign. Uh, I've worked with City Square. Um, uh, so, just a bunch of different mm-hmm. organizations out here in Dallas.
0: And, and that's some impressive experience, actually. Mm-hmm.
2: In so. such a short time. Yeah, such a short time being here.
0: Uh huh. What brought you here? Um, Other than the snow.
2: You know what? Uh, my wife and I have always wanted to come and relocate somewhere warm. Uh, so I picked Dallas because my little sister actually lives out here. Huh. Um, and so I won that vote. Do I get to keep that vote? I don't know. Maybe one day she might say, oh, nope, it's time to go somewhere else. But uh, I came out here because she let me. That's the answer. (laughs)
0: Um, You've referred to several things about Dallas as being more conservative to Chicago. The social service sector that you've always worked in, how would you compare the two? Oh,
2: wow. Um, In my experience in, in Chicago, I think that it is one of the catalysts to how everyone else operates um We have a foster care system that is 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 affected by some of you know um, some of the most um, some of the largest numbers uh as far as foster care or youth going into foster care um and I think The city of Chicago has looked at these resources. Um, They've rallied around these resources. That's the difference, too. They rallied around these resources and supported them. Uh, I think that the nonprofits here in Dallas, they support one another. Uh, I haven't yet, from my experience seeing the city of Dallas really support nonprofits and making sure that we connect and expand our programs and support our programs. So if I have a youth list of 83 uh, young adults looking for housing, I should also have a list of 200 homes that I can contact to see if they have openings.
0: That the city has compiled? The
2: city has compiled, yes.
0: Right. And we haven't done that here?
2: I haven't seen that support.
0: Okay. So... Uh, who have you told about this?
2: Well, I've told you, David. No, <laughs> actually, that's and, and through, th- that's
0: usually enough.
2: That's enough, right? <laughs> uh, usually, uh, well, through out. the Collective Hope Coalition, and that's how we're trying to take these organizations and create this resource guide, which you can also find on our website, dallashopecharities dot com dot org. Uh, take these resources and make them available. So, if someone's looking for housing support or food support or Uh, counseling support they can go and look at these resources and these are organizations that are connected through our collective hope coalition so we're creating that 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 collection of uh, organizations working together right now
1: just really quick i know we're coming up at the end of the hour but holidays are coming up quickly is there anything that people can do if they want to volunteer and help? And I don't know what kind of help, maybe with food yes. or gifts or something like that.
2: Well, yeah, we have actually our uh, Trunk or Treat event that's going to be happening um, uh, with the Rosemont uh, Park. Uh, we have our Black Tie event that we're looking for volunteers that want to sign up and volunteer and help support our Black Tie efforts. We're, this is the first year we're a beneficiary, so we're really oh, excited awesome. about that. Um, we have our meals program that we're constantly looking for volunteers to work in our pantry or within the, the food truck itself, which, honestly, for a volunteer opportunity to work on a food truck, for me, that's kind of exciting, but I'm a geek. Uh, and then we have our Hope Center, where we're looking for people to come out and decorate the home for the holidays, for a false uh, solstice, um, so that our youth in the center, our, our younger adults in the center, have a sense of, of the holidays, and they can look around and see a, a, you know, a fall um, presentation in the, in the center.
1: And who do they contact?
2: You would just uh, hit us up on DallasHopeCharities.org, okay, uh, and we have a contact form there, and more than likely you'll talk immediately to me.
0: You know, one thing I do want to uh, squeeze in—we have a minute, and okay. I see the next show there just in the parking lot out there. Okay. So we have an extra minute. Um, the, the Safe Place initiative that mm-hmm. you're doing with the Dallas Police Department, just what is it and how's it going?
2: So our Safe Place program was a adoption from another um, community. Um, and what we would like to do with Safe Safe Place program is bring awareness to our organizations and have an opportunity that if a person is feeling uh, threatened or in danger, they can see these Safe Place signs in different uh, organizations, communities, restaurants, bars, uh, and they'll find support from and getting them out of that danger that they're in. So if I'm walking down the city, uh, I'm walking downtown Dallas, uh, and I see this sticker and I'm being harassed. This is a place that I can go for support and safety.
0: That that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is. We have one in our office. Yes. Do you, run My office is my home. Ah. But it is a safe space. It is a safe space. Absolutely. Tamika. I want to thank you very much. Come back to see us again.
2: Oh, most definitely. Yeah,
0: and uh, we're going out with some music from, um, which one? Oh, I pulled another Lisa uh, CD from Lisa Messiah.